0: This is a podcast from 3RR 102.7 FM in Melbourne.
1: Truly independent community radio.
2: Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The
1: real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone.
3: Are for you to see.
1: It's just gone three minutes past nine. The radio station is three triple R. The program is Radio Marinara, all things about wet and salty. My name's Dr. Beach. And I'm John Ford. How are you going, John Ford? I'm doing really well. That's excellent to it's, hear. It's
2: awfully, it's awfully cold in here. I need a scarf.
1: I see you're wearing your, um, your <laughs> yellow and black scarf. Oh, I certainly am. Yeah, it's chilly in the studio. And we're mm-hmm. being, and Kent is um, <clears> on panel here, and Kent's still punching the air as well. So I'm surrounded by Tigers fans.
2: Yeah. Things to do today?
1: Celebrate
2: the Tigers
1: <laughs> And also before we do anything else we must thank Tim. Thank you, Tim. And some beautiful music there at the end. Oh, oh I was yeah. love music in the studio. What Triple R. Tripulation. A- That's what you get. That's what you get. <laughs> anyway, that was yeah, I enjoyed watching the Tigers win yesterday, as I think did the vast majority of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. A sea of yellow and black, and I'm looking forward to next week. (laughs) Okay, let's leave football behind and let's think about the wet and salty world (laughs) of the marine environment. What have we got on today, John? Well, Well, you're you're probably wanting to ask me that question. I could ask you, that. We've got Neil Blake coming in, our baykeeper. Our very own dear baykeeper, Neil Blake, is coming in for the first segment. He is here ensconced in the green room as we speak. Mm hmm. And then we are joined by another, so last week we had a couple of undergraduate students who were telling us about marine energy and this week we uh, have the pleasure of having Amy Rose, another undergrad, coming in to talk about plastics and the surveys that she's done with her family. And that's going to be a kind of broad ranging conversation around this problem that's freaking me out.
2: I mm, should have a few interesting uh, interesting conversations to have with Neil Blake, because I know that Neil has certainly been looking at plastic in our Port Phillip Bay. So yeah, so you see what the problem is locally, and then what, what it might look like globally.
1: And that was kind of, and, you know, my sort of recent epiphany, I mean, I'm probably late to this, but last week I interviewed Karina Holden, who wrote and directed a movie called Blue, which is Oh, I think I should have looked up when it's going to be released here, but it will be on pretty soon. But that was just an amazing movie. So, again, blew the film. I recommend that you go and have a look at that, dear listeners. Go to that website. And for our third segment this morning, we have Simon Branigan from the Nature Conservancy who is going to tell us about a cam, a live reef webcam they have going at Pope's Eye, our very own Pope's Eye near the head
2: yeah that's really exciting i've um I've spent a bit of time watching it just waiting for the waiting for the tide to stop and the fish to pop out and
1: uh yeah there's some really beautiful footage already so yeah, I'm looking great. forward to looking at because it's um oh, it's a long time since I've been under the water at Pope's eye <laughs> When was the last time you went there? Pope's
2: eye's been a few years
1: yeah no. uh probably about six <laughs> God for me it's close <laughs> closer to thirty I think. <laughs> But all those beautiful fish and that. But And for those of you who don't know about pie, Pope's Eye, we shall learn a lot about it from Simon Brannigan. Towards the end of the show, that'll be about quarter to ten. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, the weather for today and for the week. Unfortunately, um, we're not going to get anything quite as glorious as yesterday. I believe it hit 28 degrees. I, I read 30 this oh, morning. Oh, 30? Could have been 30. Anyway, it was it was, it was was amazing. No, we're not quite going to get that again this week. Today is a top of 18. Showers, there are already showers, probably happening right Right now, I certainly drove through a few in the eastern suburbs, um, so there will be rain. Uh, Look, the rest of the week is looking um, cloudy and showers. So we've got 16 tomorrow with a shower, 17 on Tuesday with cloudy, Wednesday up to 22. So that's nice. That's a nice spring temperature.
1: It is, yes.
2: Uh, 18, 17 and 16, all with a little bit chance of rain through there. So, you know, it's getting better. It's Uh, getting
1: better. uh, uh, Any any news on what the weather's going to be like? On Saturday, next Saturday, sixteen degrees with a thirty percent chance of rain. Oh, you, you want lots of rain, don't you?
2: Yeah. Oh no, we
1: want glory. We want glorious thirty degrees. But I, I, I'm just thinking. I'm sorry, I'm dragging it back to footy, but uh, <laughs> t- tags are good in the wet, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Look,
2: I reckon we're we're good enough to win in any conditions this year. Um, I love that confidence. <laughs> <laughs> You wouldn't have been hearing that two weeks ago or three weeks ago. I'll tell you what. But uh, anyway, that's um, yeah. Look on the water today. We've got um, small, windy conditions, limiting surf opportunities through Victoria. We've got a nice 13 degrees. Um, Phillip Island, nowhere to recommend going surfing. Nothing unfortunately, to nowhere, nowhere at all. Uh, Monty Peninsula, the western port is too small. And the open beaches are wind affected. Give it a miss. Wow, I've never had such negative reviews on the on the swell forecast. Um, so, and Surf Coast Fairhaven has small blustery surf. So apparently, if you're a surfer, it's not worth going in the water. So um, celebrate the Tigers' victory. That's right. Yep. Any other news? Uh, right. What have we got? Look, I've got a little well, bit. hang of... on. Tides. You didn't do tides. On oh, tides. All oh, right. Do you that'll know what they are? Be interesting to. Interesting to see. Um, uh, you know. Okay, we've got a low at the moment at 11:55 a.m. coming up. Uh, it's a 0. 0.34 meters. Where's that? Oh uh, no, that's at Williamstown. Sorry. Let's go back to Point Lonsdale, which is probably more relevant to most people if you're going to dive in particular. So we've got we had a low this morning at 8:15 a.m. Uh, we've got a high coming at
1: 2:44 and another low at 8:36 in the evening. Well, there you go. If you're um, interested in getting out on the water, there are the tides. Mm. Do it. You're not going to be surfing, so um well that presumably means it's going to be nice and calm and good for yeah on it the surface be. in a small Ab- vessel. Absolutely,
2: yeah, that'd be nice. Although northwest, oh no, no, it's not northwest. Thirty knots. Oh, That's yeah. why we have no surf. Right. Mm. Okay. Right. A norwesterly at 30 knots, probably don't go out on the water. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so mm. ignore what I just said. Ignore what, ignore what I just said. probably not worth it. Anyone stay inside, celebrate the tigers. Right. <laughs> um, I've got a bit of a community service announcement here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about um, a group called Fish Care Victoria, who's looking for volunteers. So I'm going to put that out to all our listeners, um, that they're mm. open for, for volunteers. And what Fish Care does is it runs workshops and activities that basically teach people to be responsible, safe and sustainable anglers, so recreational fishers. And I think certainly in the great environment here, we've got Victoria where um, they're putting a lot of money and investment into trying to grow recreational fishing. I think it's incredibly important that groups like this are out there teaching, teaching people why it's important to do so responsibly and sustainably. So they generally work with primary schools, disability groups, multicultural communities, um, and all training is supplied, and they're based in Williamstown. So, if you're interested in these kind of um, opportunities, being a volunteer to teach people to fish responsibly, um, go to fishcare.org.au
1: and check it out. What a fantastic idea that is! Mm. Yeah, it's and fan- it's more than an idea; it's actually happening now. Mm. Exactly.
2: Yeah, and I think, as I say, I think it's really, really important if we're going to grow if we're going to grow
1: recreational fishing. So what do you think, just very, very quickly, what would be the things that they would be talking about?
2: Okay, so they'd be talking about probably the, the rules around, around you know, how, what you size. can take, you know, size limits, catch limits, um, being able to identify fish. And I think it's also about how you handle fish and that's a really, really important one, about how, how you handle fish, how you put them back in the water so to maximise their survival if you're going to put them back in. Um, I think there's probably a lot around uh, appreciating the health of the waterways, the health of the rivers and the health of the, of the ocean itself um, the importance of habitats, all this sort of thing, I'm sure, is, um, is a part of their part of their program, which I think is great.
1: Health and Nature Fish reminds me of a tiny little news item I want to, I want to mention. This was um, mentioned in uh, Nature, which just appeared 21st of September. Sharks can live a lot longer than researchers realise, and this is work which has been done by a guy up at JCEU. So, James Cook University, um, and his name is Harry. What's his... Oh, I forget his name. His first name. That's his last name, Harry. Um, anyway, he has shown... He's done a review of the literature and looked at all sorts of other stuff to say that um, we are currently underestimating the age of sharks, mm-hmm. which is kind of important. How long, you, how long do you reckon a great white would live for? The old carcarid and carcarious, John?
2: Uh, look, I mean, my sharks live a while, I don't know, 100 years.
1: Oh, okay. All right. Fifty years. Pe- 50 people, years? people thought, oh, no. it, people thought it was fifty, and now he reckons it's seventy. Okay. For a All great right. white, but if you get down All to right. like a winter skate, it's about thirty years. Mm-hmm. Whereas people thought it was twenty. Okay. Uh, there pe- you go. So people judged there you age. Go. I thought that
2: they were lived longer.
1: Anyway, apparently, age was judged on a little bit like the growth rings we see in a tree. Mm-hmm. So cut a trunk of a tree, yep. and you can count the rings. Um, they were doing that with the vertebrae, even though they're cartilaginous. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy's figured out that that's all wrong. Th- that's not actually you correct. Can't, you can't use that as a good proxy. it's so
2: interesting. So that's it
1: about a 50% underestimate of the age, which of course has implications for conservation.
2: Absolutely. Are, are they, so is it just all sharks and rays are actually 50%, generally 50% older, or is it more that they can live 50% older than what they thought? Because if they're actually growing slower than what we think so we thought that they were 10 but they're actually 15 that has really important consequences for how we if we want to sustainably harvest them for instance if we want to fish them has really important consequences it just if it just if it just means that they have a greater maximum age then that can actually be even more important that can be actually a, a benefit to to fisheries in, in terms of being able to catch more. So um, that's to really be interesting. But I think by what the sounds of it, it means that they they are all older than what we think, and therefore we need to be even more precautionary if we do have um, if we do fish them and do exploit them. Mm.
1: That's the tenor of this little mm. piece, yeah, which is referring yep. to a paper which was recently published in fishery fish and fisheries. That esteemed journal, fish and fisheries. Good journal.
0: The School
2: of Life and Environmental Sciences at Deakin University embraces a wide ranging research portfolio that makes a positive difference towards expanding knowledge and finding solutions to reducing our environmental footprint. Their academic and research staff are nationally and internationally renowned and supported by cutting edge technologies, state of the art infrastructure, and specialised equipment. If you are interested in making a difference, make Deakin University your number one choice. Proud sponsors of Triple R.
1: It's seventeen minutes past nine. The show is Radio Marinara. The program, the station—that's what—that's what I'm talking about. The station is three triple R. Um, before those announcements, we heard Adele and Glenn. That is Adele Pickfance and Glenn Thompson with a nice little tune there. I wish I was a sparrow. That was from 2011. People get sick of me playing the Go Betweens, so that's a bit of a proxy for that. Some <laughs> two people played with the Go Betweens at one stage or another. Some people might have picked up. It's my in- enormous pleasure to welcome back to the studio. I'm glad that you're so excited there, Dr. B. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Blake, our very own baykeeper. How's it going, Neil?
0: Yeah, uh, going really well. That's uh, just good to the, hear. The Sparrow, I have to report, I did see a Sparrow at uh, Southern Cross Station a few years back opening the electronic doors by fluttering in front of the sensor. <laughs> did that twice. <laughs> and, 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 then and then flying out, then, inside. Then flew out into Smith wow. Street.
1: Okay. There's a paper in there.
0: There is. I wish I was a sparrow sometimes. So any any honour
1: students out there, go and grab yourself a supervisor and go to Southern Cross Station and, you know, look at the sparrows. Yeah, why not? That's at Southern Cross Station. What about in our bay, in the beautiful Port Phillip Bay or St Kilda, where you hang out a lot of the time?
0: Well, uh, lots of uh, always exciting things are going on there. So it's the... uh, really where the, all the action is, uh, particularly at the top of the bay and uh, with the Yarra coming into it, of course, uh, and the estuarine sort of qualities and all that sort of stuff. The ecotones bring a whole lot of species and uh, major uh, ecological uh, changes happening there all the time. And any projects that you're involved in at the moment? Well, there's quite a few, but one that I'm particularly excited about, though, is uh, Melbourne Water's uh, uh, catchment strategies, they're, they're doing a, a co-design process with communities and stakeholders uh, to come up with a management strategies for each of the catchments around the bay yeah. over the next 12 months or so they're putting these uh, strategies together that are going to be effective for at least 10 years and mm-hmm. possibly longer so uh, this is a really major uh, piece of work to, to actually look after the health of the bay. So what are the um, what
2: are the strategies involve is it looking after the water quality that's coming down the rivers and streams and around in that sort of area that's and then flow and effects? in a yep. nutshell yeah uh, mm.
0: and there are so many different uh, influences on water quality from uh, different parts of catchment so for example the Maribon catchment goes quite a long way up into the Uh, towards Mount Macedon. And uh, so there's rural agricultural activities up there that affect the creeks and streams and also, uh, you know, sewerage from different points. And, yeah, so the whole um, process of managing the waterways and getting the best out of those waters in an era of climate change, they need to be looking forward to how how they're going to adapt and cope with climate change in the whole process. It's quite challenging. And the way to do it that they've adopted is uh, bringing it together community people and also other stakeholders such as vic roads and developers etc to, to actually have a say about what needs to happen so it's, it's a good process
1: so i mean just thinking about all the different things that must go into such a complicated process it would be engineering of what happens to stormwater, how stuff might get filtered before it gets into things like I don't know, Gardner's Creek is one that I'm aware of that goes straight yeah. to the bay. Many, many, you know, lots of different things feed into, like the Maribyrnong, the Yarra, and then go into the bay. So, engineering that, but as well as education. Yeah. To remind you, you mentioned Macedon Rangers. I mean, it might be someone who's living around the bay, then they might be well aware that what they litter, what they chuck on the ground, yeah, that's going to go to the bay but someone who is living a little bit further away, so up near Mount Macedon, might not be aware of of that.
0: That's right. And there are landholders up there too, for example, who like to uh, get the best out of their grazing land and so they want to maximise that and not necessarily be that fussed about the riparian vegetation and stuff along the creeks. So there's a whole range of issues and and different sectors that need to be engaged and brought on board.
1: Will there be a call-out for... um, Public opinion on this? Anything that say people who are listening now might think. Well, I've got some really good ideas about that. Who can I contact?
0: Yeah, well, uh, that's. A, I'm glad you asked, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that was that was, that was not prompted. So,
0: uh, at Melbourne Water do have an online uh, process. It's it's called uh, yoursay.melbournewater.com.au, your say dot dot If people Google that, it it takes to them to a uh, a page which has all of the different catchments that they can not identify the one they're in and and exactly where in that catchment they they have an issue or a point to make so there is that's a really good opportunity for people living in the catchments to make a contribution
3: fantastic
0: and also uh, people are invited to come along to future community meetings as well so by by going to that page which again is uh, yoursay.melbournewater.com.au you can really link into the
1: process um Are you going to be involved in this directly? Uh, Yeah,
0: I've I've been around to um, uh, the Maribyrnong catchment meetings and also to Werribee. Um, There's another one at Dandenong. And I went along to the the first of the Yarra uh, meetings too, which was that last week. Uh, It was a bit of a a Yarra Visions uh, Mm -hmm. uh, workshop and a conference. Had some speakers there. Very exciting. Just getting people talking about what the issues are and saying what they love about it and, yeah. One of the key things is identifying the values that need to be protected uh, so that uh, that can be a key platform to, to build the strategies on.
1: And those are what would be top of the pops on those values? Oh,
0: well, I guess um, there's the open space. Uh, a lot of people are, are happy just to have uh, a pleasant uh, vista and environment to sort of picnic in, et cetera. But, uh, you know, obviously, though, water quality is, is an important one and, and, and the iconic things like platypus... Uh, knowing that those those wildlife are there and and actually stable in their populations rather than sort of de- declining is an important thing for a lot of people
1: we're going to talk more about plastics in the in the next segment with amy rose but is is this rearing its head at the moment is it is it, is this something which is of great concern know well, it is of great concern we know but but in this discussion that's happening about the catchments is there uh, Any well, talk about how to prevent more better education with littering, for example? Yes,
0: that that is being uh, integrated into the strategies. Ultimately, we'll see how it, how it comes out. That uh, uh, one of the issues with plastics is uh, who's actually responsible for it. You know, so uh, uh, local government have got the responsibility for day to day litter sort of management uh, and. So Melbourne Water is trying to work out where they actually fit into that overall scheme of things. Where does the AP, EPA sit, for example, mm. too? So yeah. uh, it, it's it's a good discussion to have because I think at the moment uh, there's, it's a little bit vague mm-hmm. and uh, it'd be nice to have one particular level of government that, that they ultimately take
1: responsibility for it. Sean sure. Ward.
0: So uh, just to clarify, is that
2: the question of when litter or rubbish enters the marine environment it's unclear who is responsible for that or who responsible to clean that up or do anything about
0: it is that, is that the issue right well, now Well, uh, i haven't actually sat around the table with the melbourne water uh, people that, but i mean local government for example is responsible for management of local stormwater d- mm. drains uh, whereas the major drains becomes the responsibility of mm. melbourne water Obviously, the litter is coming from the, the street drains. Mm. Uh, you know, so I, I guess they're scratching their heads and saying, well, hey, why, should, why should we find the resources to deal with all of this when maybe local government isn't doing enough to right. actually stop it from getting there in the first place? Could hmm. work together. A thorny issue. <laughs> yeah. uh, <Indeed>. My, my <laughs> message is we're all in this together <laughs> and we need to work together and actually get, get a good result.
1: There's a song we could be playing too on. Um. <laughs> to underscore that. A N-
0: number of songs, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> that's a very important issue. But w- what else is happening in your world, Neil Blake, that you'd like to share with us this morning?
0: Uh, well, uh, our, our song, speaking of songs, The Little Bit of Litter, which we did play, I think, a few months back, uh, <laughs> actually won the Keep Victoria Beautiful Award uh, for Community Glen Beach and Waterways uh, last week. So that's very exciting and it's great to see, you know, some recognition. But... Also, though, uh, good to see Keep Victoria Beautiful actually still flying the flag and saying, you know, a beautiful Victoria is important. Uh, we need to have sort of benchmarks and things to aspire to, I think, and, and there's a lot of work goes into running an awards uh, like that. They had about 15 different winners and categories, you know, so from community to government and schools...
1: Uh, and, yeah, so there's
0: a lot of work that goes into that and uh, they're sort of running on a shoestring at the moment, so just uh, more power to them, that's all I say.
1: Fantastic, and congratulations. That's great about the song. <laughs> yeah, it's good. We'll have to play that again. Uh, but for now, thank you very much for coming in. You're going to stay in for the conversation we're going to have with um, with the undergraduate student, Amy Rose. You know, I was I was saying before, guys, so we're, we're on Radio Maranara. My name's Dr Beach. I'm joined in the studio by John Ford and Neil Blake and also Amy Rose. Amy Rose is um, an undergraduate student who has been thinking about something which is getting me quite depressed lately, and that is Plastics in the Ocean, which is why I wanted to play that Carter family song, Always Keep on the Sunny Side of Life. Yeah,
0: but they didn't have plastic when they wrote that song.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Back in the 1930s, they did not. And that reminds us we've had plastics only for about 50 or 60 years, and they have just polluted our environment. I mean, <laughs> they've been handy, I've got to admit it, I use lots of plastics, they've been handy, but it's just getting out of control. And Amy Rose, welcome to 3 R. Thank you. And you, I know, got involved in this topic working at the, well, d- volunteering at the zoo. We had Ben on from the zoo about a month or perhaps two months ago talking about the ban the balloons campaign and you were involved in that. Can you tell us just a little bit about that before we get into what you've been doing yourself?
3: Sure. Um, So the Bubbles Not Balloons campaign... Yeah, the Bubbles Not Balloons campaign. That's right. Yeah,
1: it wasn't ban the balloons. It was Bubbles Not (laughs)
3: Balloons. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was essentially teaching people not to vertically litter um, and letting people know that if they let go of a balloon, it's eventually going to come back down um and more often than not it's going to end up in the ocean um and that includes the the rubber that the balloon's made out of i mean the strings that hold onto it the little bit of plastic that holds the helium inside um and yeah it's gonna it will eventually end up in the ocean and we were teaching people that there are a lot better ways to kind of celebrate than to use balloons for example bubbles
1: and we were having a conversation last week and you said that um in fact, people who are now selling balloons are on board with this and encouraging people as they sell them to, what is it? Not let them go out, think of them as...
3: as um, Yeah, so I, a girl that I worked with at the zoo, um, she worked actually in a party store and she encouraged them not to sell balloons like outdoor balloons. Yeah. So indoor balloons made from that weird plastic foil, that's fine. Um, teaching people how to dispose of them properly, so letting the air out putting it in the right place, which I'm not sure where that goes. um, And yeah, just kind of making people aware that what they're doing is in fact making an impact on the environment.
1: Yeah. And you you were so kind of moved by this whole exercise and that experience that that you actually brought something into your own life and and started to... Was it just to ask people in your immediate environment what they're doing with plastics in their life? Can you tell us a bit about that?
3: Yeah. So, for this project, I knew that I wanted to talk about um, or research plastics in general, single-use plastics. Um, So, what I did was I asked all my friends and family to record the plastics that they were engaging with over a 24-hour period Um, and... I got bombarded with lists and questions and things like, what am I supposed to do with my toothbrush? Um, what about my so-called disposable razor? Um, where does that go? What about, you know, the yoga tubs that I use every morning? Where, Where is that going? Um, and so that inspired me to do a lot of research onto um, where exactly these things are going and the fact that people have not really much of an idea about where to properly dispose of these things. Um, And a lot of local councils don't actually have the ability to recycle some of these things, and there's only three kinds of plastics that local councils can actually recycle and um, use to make more plastics. So we're essentially consuming so much more plastic than um, we need to, and with a lifespan of up to a 1,000 years, um, every piece of plastic that is made mostly has a... You know, it's consumed over about a year, so it turns into trash. It goes to landfill after about a year of being made.
1: Wow, and and, and that's just an enormous amount of. And I'm not going to say it's shit. A lot of you know, everything yeah. from plastic. I was talking about this movie Blue I watched last week, and one of the most evocative scenes from that was doing a gavage, so getting a a baby shearwater on Lord Howe Island to to vomit up what was in its guts. This this shearwater was was still alive. Many of them were dead. But one of the things that this popped out was a little blue Bic pen top, you know, one of those little tops that we'd you know, just chuck in the bin, it's gone. So I, I use plastics with alacrity. I would yoghurt, get my milk in plastic. I probably should not, uh, you know, <laughs> now I do feel like I'm going to change my ways after, it's gradually, you know, yeah. old dude finally doing it. I put stuff in the, in the recycling bin thinking, okay, I've done my job, I think I'm a pretty good recycler, but I really don't know what happens to it after that. You mentioned just before that councils will only recycle three types of plastics. But even if we do that on its way to landfill, sorry, not on its way to landfill, but as I would hope, on its way to a recycling plant where it's then reprocessed into a, a bench in a park or something else, a lot can happen on the way, can't it?
3: Yeah, a lot can happen on the way. Um, the main type, the main reason that plastics end up in our ocean is from illegal dumping. Um,
1: and we've heard a little bit about cross-border, cross, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah <laughs> through four not quarters, to pay the thing, fees. Yeah, people not wanting to pay the fees and shipping mm. it to Queensland where it's a lot yeah. cheaper, for example.
3: Um and purely from leakage of landfill and overspill and the fact that we're using more than we need to Um, and landfill transportation is another big one so things will get um, blown away in the wind things will get washed away in the rain um, and it will just end up in our water systems and end up in the ocean and it's not about the fact that there's a floating bottle in the middle of the ocean. I mean, from UV rays and the oceanic environment, it breaks down into tiny confetti-sized pieces. And that's the problem, is that it's not easy to clean up those things. It's not, you know, it's not easy to just pick up that bottle or to pick up that helmet or to pick up that nappy. Um, it, they're tiny, tiny fish-sized pieces. And 70% of the plastic in the ocean is actually sunk to the sea floor, So it's a lot harder to pick that up than we think.
1: Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> mm.
3: Yeah.
1: And we've heard about... I mean, there's just so many things come to mind. I want to talk about plastic bags. I want to talk about the, the garbage patch that we've yeah. heard about in the ocean. But but while we're on that, but, I mean, you talked about breaking down into fish-sized pieces, but also the plastics are breaking down into much smaller pieces as well, yeah. pieces that will even get inside cells or yeah. in, inside small plankton like copepods, for example. Mm-hmm. We've seen pictures of that. You've done a little bit of research on that. Tell us about what you've, some of the things that you've learned?
3: Um, well, I've learned a lot about dietary dilution and this happens when um, a species will ingest plastic and it's these tiny, tiny pieces. And once they've ingested this amount, like such a huge amount of plastic, there's no, there's no room in their stomach for the nutrients they need to grow and to reproduce and to survive um, and the, their digestive juices will release the toxins into their cells and into their body, um, and that's just completely poison the species. Um, and a scary fact that I found was that 25% of the seafood that Australians buy to consume is actually contaminated with plastic.
1: Yeah, so we're getting it as well. Probably just desserts, actually. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Since we made it in the first place. I mentioned before that the... Um, the garbage patch, the, the one which was very, very famous in the in the North Pacific, I think, but now there's one been recently discovered in the South Pacific. Is that
3: correct? Yeah, so the same man that discovered the Northern Pacific garbage patch, um, Captain Charles Moore, um, this year has actually discovered the South Pacific garbage patch and he estimates that it's more than a million square kilometres in size, which is bigger than the Great Pacific garbage patch that we all are kind of aware of. And this happens when... Plastic enters the ocean and it gets caught in the currents in these ocean gyres, and it's just in this cycle, and it just kind of stays, and creates this mound of plastic. And the um, the there's about four parts of plastic per meter per square meter of ocean in these areas, and that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you think about how large the Pacific Ocean is, I mean, it's a huge amount. I mean, it's completely diluted.
1: Yeah. And that's
0: on the surface. Yeah, so
3: exactly, yeah. A lot exactly, of
0: ultimately
1: yeah. will be sinking to
0: the bottom too,
1: I yeah. guess. Neil, this is, I mean, for you as our baykeeper, this must be a, a, a topic which is very close to your heart. In fact, I know it is, to tell us of some of the experience. Well, you, you were doing a survey of plastics, weren't you?
0: Yes, we're, we're still um, doing... Uh, we've got uh, beach audit methods and we've also been doing net trawls in the area and Maribyrnong, which have um, re- provided some astounding results about that ultimately millions of microplastics coming into the bay each year from from the rivers and up until now people have been oblivious to that fact Uh, and it's interesting that the um, other methods of quantifying litter haven't really looked at microplastics closely before so that's what we've been trying to draw attention to the issue by picking up on them and the fact that uh, these plastics are actually pollution they're not just uh, an aesthetic issue and literate, uh, it's not just about being nice it's actually about survival <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've know? yeah, yeah. got to get, got to wake up here so that's what we've been doing and we're, we'll be taking those surveys into the into the streets in the catchments and the rivers and creeks too so we've developed methods for, for quantifying microplastics on streets and in rivers and creeks which I think will be great if we can get the wider community
1: involved in that process I'd like to talk now about trying to get around this problem, it was cleaning it up so Amy Rose, the, the Carbage patch in the middle of the Pacific, the one mm-hmm. we've now got in the South Pacific. Anyone doing anything about that?
3: Um, I found um, a 23-year-old Dutch engineer who's actually... Lucky you. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> right up my alley. Yeah, yeah. Um, no. And he is—he started this company called The Ocean Cleanup. And what they're doing is they're putting a floating barrier into the Pacific Ocean um, with the hopes that it will um, almost bring the plastics the microplastics to the shore um and they can sort it from there they can reuse it properly they can recycle it properly um but as long as it's out of our oceans i mean he's kind of the only one that i found that has a massive massive project and they hope that in the next five years they will decrease the amount of plastic in the great pacific garbage patch by 50 percent which is huge
1: so these are hard plastics that we've been talking about generally but so far, but there are soft plastics as well, which yes. in my naive understanding is plastic bags and the stuff that we might if we go to the supermarket and buy yeah. a bag of apples, that yeah. bag will be soft plastics. Yeah. That is also very damaging.
3: It's extremely damaging, um, mainly because the education on what to actually do with that is quite small. I mean, I know that you can take a bag of soft plastics to, I know that I'd take mine to Coles, um, and they say that they're going to recycle it for you. But a lot of people will put it in their recycling bin or in landfill, in worst case, um, and once it's in the recycling bin, lots of councils can't process it through their recycling, so it will contaminate the um, the entire recycling um, and the load. The load the so whole, that yeah. whole
1: load, yeah, it has to get...
3: Yeah, yeah. It will contaminate the whole load. And that has to then be manually cut out of the machines and all of that will end up in landfill. And I know in Darabin Council, they say that 8% of their recycling loads are contaminated and end up in landfill anyway.
1: Do you yeah. think it's possible to go plastic-free?
3: I, th- I think it's possible and I'd like to hope that one day we could all be plastic free. Um, I have a friend that I met in the Netherlands and she is in her second year completely plastic free. Um, I tried to do it for... I Well, I attempted to do it and I lasted two months. It was incredibly hard um, and I... Ended, I ended up stopping because I had to buy stationery for university and there was no way to avoid plastic when buying stationery.
2: So was that mostly soft or disposable plastic-free? I mean, looking around this studio and the amount of objects that are made from plastic, like computers, like phones, like the cords that, you know, so much of it. Yeah. Um, you know, is there is there a future to replace those hard plastics
1: as well? Well, I guess, and I'm sorry to jump in here, but I guess being plastic-free to me would be... Not getting rid of the objects that I have right now, which are made of plastic, but rather not buying anything else that I'm going to dispose of which is made of plastic.
2: Right, okay. So it's about, it's about being d- disposable. So a computer might last you a few years but not considered to be disposable in that sense. Oh, I'm just to sort of putting it out there. Like, we've, got to, so we've got to make it realistic but right, we want yeah, people to do it, right? right?
3: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I did exactly what um Dr. Beach said. Mm-hmm. I didn't purchase anything that I knew I was going to throw out in the next, say, 12 months or so. Um, That included like makeup, sanitary items, any anything a girl wants is pretty much in plastic, mm. um, and single use plastic was a massive one. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would say no to straws. I would take an uh, old Tupperware container to get takeaway. Um, mm. I wouldn't use plastic bags. I wouldn't use Glad wrap, and it that single-use plastic was a lot easier than the hard plastics um that uh, aren't necessarily single use but won't last over 12 months i mean it was incredibly difficult and incredibly confronting
0: Mm. i think we have to encourage people to just have a think about each item they buy without sort of saying oh we can't be plastic free entirely yeah but put it out there you know is it possible to eat a pie which doesn't have sauce that comes in one of those single-use plastic sachets. Yeah. Does the pie <laughs> lose its flavour? Yeah. Or, or Is it totally useless and uh, non-nutritious? No, that's another question. the, the, the pie didn't have any flavour
1: to start off with. Yeah, <laughs> but
0: well, that, but that's the question. Well, why would you buy that? Do you, do you really need? Can you survive without that and still have a smile on your dial? Mm.
1: That's right. I don't think I could survive without my yogurt <laughs> every morning on my muesli. But then that would entail me making my own yogurt. And I don't know if I can be asked well, doing that. No, but you
2: could buy a one or two litre tub as opposed to buying individual tubs as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, don't so, know, yeah. I mean, there's movements, you know, you, yeah. there's grades of being able to you know, reduce your plastic. Yeah. So.
0: The point is, have a go. You know, do what you can.
4: Indeed, Neil. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I just want to say that there was a report that came out, and I don't want to steal your thunder if this is sort of something you were going to say, Amy Rose, but um, if we don't do anything about this, a report that came out last year said that by 2050 there will be as much plastic in the ocean as it will fish. Yeah. So at the moment it's five to one. There's five times more fish that, than plastic. Is, is, in is ocean. that a weight
1: thing? I was going to say biomass, but plastic is not biomass. Th- it have to be weight. It have I to be weight.
2: weight yeah. I, I think so. Um, but that's what we're going to end up. Uh, you know, we're going to end up in that in that spot. And then obviously, you know, then the trajectory is that less fish, more yeah. plastic. Less fish, more plastic. Less, you know, it just keeps going. Yeah. So we need to get on top of this.
1: Yeah, before Absolutely. we are truly rogered. Um, I would like to thank you very much, Amy rose for coming into to Radio Marinara and sharing your experiences with us and the deep thinking you've done on plastic. It's been um, illuminating. And thanks, Neil Blake, and to and you, John Ford, for joining in the conversation. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Um, reality TV. I really don't care for it. I don't, want what, I don't watch much of it, but it <laughs> appears that there might be a good, um, reality TV show coming up soon, and that's going to be stuff which is called... Well, it's going to be called Reef Camp. Which is showing us what's happening any below the surface. I, I don't know if there's no going to be any commercial
0: sponsors or anything like
1: no, that. There might be, Neil. Who knows? <laughs> but to tell us more about that, we welcome back to Three Triple R the Nature Conservancy's Marine Restoration Coordinator Simon Brannigan. How are you going, Simon?
4: Very well. Thanks for having me on the program.
1: Ah, that's a complete pleasure. You're beaming to us from sunny Ocean Grove, I believe
4: slightly sunny ocean grove it started off with a lot of rain this morning and it's uh northwestly's kicked in but there's a bit of sun peeking through the clouds, clouds, so that's that's certainly welcome
2: and simon is the surf truly as bad as the forecast said it was
4: I actually haven't been out to uh, check it this morning, but I believe that it has dropped off and it'll be a bit lumpy around this region with the northwest. but uh, if you head more around sort of the tur- Torquay Surf Coast, you might be able to sneak in a little wave around there.
1: Nice. There we go, Proxy Surf Report from the Nature Conservancy. Who have thought it? <laughs> <laughs> so so that, was, that was John Ford, obviously, Simon, and we've also, nice got Neil, yes. we've also got Neil Blake here in the studio. We want to talk about Reef Cam in a moment, but before we do that, um, when we last spoke to you, you were... Um, Engaged in the Great Shellfish Restoration Project. How's that going?
4: Yeah, listen, it's going really well. We've we've uh, restored over 600 um, square meters of reef, so both in Geelong Arm and in Hobsons Bay. We the 2017 Angarzi oyster run is kicking off pretty soon, and we're about to go back out and do our six month monitoring of these reefs to both measure the survival and growth of the Angazi oysters and look at any other species that are colonising the reef through the Reef Life Survey method. So certainly very excited to get in, get under the water and check them out and um, see see how they're tracking. Can you just
1: remind me, because um, I have such a bad memory, in fact I think my brain's gone, but the Anghazi oyster, why are we particularly interested in that?
4: So historically up to 50% of Port Phillip Bay was dominated by shellfish reef habitat so both uh Angazi oyster reefs and mussel reefs um but it's largely a it's a collapsed um ecosystem um, those reefs have largely disappeared so we're, we're starting off a, a process that began in sort of 2014 that uh, mr john ford was very closely involved in um looking at how to restore these reefs and so we're, we're sort of we've sort of halfway through stage two, where we both need to put down a substrate to elevate the bivalves off the bottom and then also seed that substrate with um, either oysters or mussels from the hatchery. So, um, so essentially we're, we're putting back a, an ecosystem in the bay that are incredibly efficient at filtering water and also in, in by providing um, habitat for fish and many other species.
1: Excellent. Okay, Reef Camp, what's that all about?
4: So Reef Camp, so there's been a project on the boil for the last couple of years. Those folks that have been out to Pope's Eye would have noticed. But uh, a few weeks ago, the Nature Conservancy launched Reef Camp, which are live stream and above and below water webcams out at our beautiful Pope's Eye. In, in Port Phillip Bay. So you can essentially, as you're listening to me, you can either log into natureaustralia.org.au and go to our oceans page and you can live stream, look at the live stream of these webcams. Alternatively, you can enter uh, TNC, cam into your search engine and you'll have the opportunity to look at the, the live stream, either the above water or below water webcams that have been publicly live for the last few weeks.
1: But why Pope's Eye? Why not, say, for example, Elwood Beach?
4: Oh, listen, it's a really good question. I, I guess when we were originally looking at where to put these webcams in the bay, there's a few different criteria we had to go by. Uh, these webcams being offshore need to be solar-powered, so we need some sort of infrastructure out there. So Pope's Eye is perfect for, for that, with the with the existing jetty, and also we know that Pope's Eye has an incredible abundance and diversity of a fish species, and there's also a rocky reef habitat to showcase. And also above the water, there's the Australasian gannets and other um, bird species that that habit inhabit this area. So. I guess it was the combination of having that, that existing infrastructure and also um, the amazing values that, that Pope size showcases.
1: And why below the surface of the water and above the surface? I, you mentioned gannets before, but I guess if you could see them above and you can see them diving into the water as well as all those beautiful fish species, but, but why above the water?
4: Well, I guess it would it, be a shame not to have webcams above the water as well at Pope's Eye. The the, the species above the water are just as important as the species below the water. Um, Pope's Eye is a, is a really important um, roosting and breeding habitat for the Australasian gannets um, globally. And the, the Deakin University do a lot of study on these Australasian gannets as well. So I guess from a the Nature Conservancy's perspective, we wanted to sort of showcase these these beautiful birds and also sort of feed into the, the sort of the research opportunities of the Australasian gannets as well. So, if you log in right now, you'll see that they're the, the currently sort of in the breeding cycle. Soon there'll be some um, Australasian gannet chicks that, that'll be hatched. So, it would be incredible from a sort of an armchair view to be able to sort of monitor. the the changes and the the growth in these birds over time. And we also, uh, the other day, uh, we filmed a um, a white-bellied eagle also that landed out there as well. So uh, there's uh, amazing opportunities to, to both look at what's happening above and below the water in real time.
2: Um, so Simon, the cameras are they static or are they sort of moving around? Are they moving around? So are you always seeing the same shot, or are they sort of they pan and you can you know over time? It,
4: it's similar to a uh, surf cam. So if you yep. log into a, so Watch surf cam at the moment, um, the the surf cams pan, tilt, zoom. So these webcams also pan, tilt, zoom. So we have them. On a on a guard tour, so if you look at the above water, it'll be sort of featuring different sections of that above water jetty and the and the birds, and also below water, uh, the the webcam will be pan tilt zooming. We also do have the ability to to go in and to control that pan pan tilt zoom in sort of real time as well. But ninety percent of the time, it'll be on a on a guard tour, just trying to maximise the experience for the for the viewers, and if you also Quite often when you log into the Blowwater webcam, there's a sort of a resident fin that's hanging out nearby, so that's quite a feature. <laughs> and we've also quite often see the blue-throat Um We've even noted the uh, Western Blue Groper and sort of Her- herring tail as well. So already um, we're, we're sort of featuring some some um, future stars of the screen.
0: Could Simon? you remind us of the uh, webcam address again, uh, Simon?
4: Sorry, say that Could again, you Neil?
0: remind Minus uh, the the webcam address to to, to log in to
4: sure. check it out? Okay, there's two ways you can do it. You can log into uh, a um, org au and you go to the oceans page on on that web on our website. Or alternatively, you can enter TNC ReefCam into your search engine, and that's also a fast track way of um, getting to these webcams.
1: Simon, thank you very much for that and thanks for coming on air. We've got to get out of the studio and make way for the doctors. Um, So, yeah, people go to that and get involved. Have a look at ReefCam and I bet if you contact people through there you can even volunteer to process footage. Mm -hmm. I would like to thank Neil Blake for coming into the studio today, Mm -hmm. John Ford for joining me, Mm -hmm. Amy Rose Fraser and Simon Branigan from the Nature Conservancy for telling us about ReefCam. This has been Radio Maranara. Ant will be here next week and maybe Bron as well. Sayonara. Thanks,
2: Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors.
0: This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.